This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast, and this afternoon in Colorado Springs, we're lucky to have Strings Kozacek, CEO of Sequenza. Strings, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Bob. It's good to be here. Strings and I uh, met at the local Bass Pro here some time ago, and we must have chatted for... I don't know. Yeah, I tend to do that to people, I think. A couple, <laughs> a couple of hours. That was awesome. Yeah, thanks yeah, for the we, time. We had a good time yeah. and just try to get to know, and he was gracious enough to come down to be on the podcast. So, Strings, we talked about Strings, and we're not really sure where the nickname came from, but Strings Kozacek. Yes. And so, if you would, tell us a little bit about your business okay. and who you serve. Sure. My business is Sequenza. Under Sequenza, we handle three different brands. Sequenza is an ITAV professional services firm. We are able to, with our internal network of a couple thousand techs across the U.S., another thousand or so outside of the United States, we provide IT and AV services, and we're able to have somebody most anywhere in the continental United States in four hours. And we do this under market price, right? So we handle a lot of retail. We do a lot of restaurants. We do technology companies, um, all this sort of stuff. Two other brands. One of them is V-Tracker, and V-Tracker is a host of technology services that enhance auto dealerships. We provide proprietary tools for inventory management, for the status of cars, anti-theft protection, GPS, geofencing, inventory management tools, these sort of things. And the third brand that comes under the Sequenza banner is called Sage. Sage is a digital signage platform. It is a proprietary Android box that connects wired, wirelessly, wireless WAN, or over cellular to our back-end system that sits in Amazon Web Services. This has been up and running about 15 years. We're recently bringing this into the United States. The niche there is very cheap, and we've taken about 70% of the most used digital signage functionality, put it in a package that I could train somebody on in 45 minutes. Simple, cheap, easy to use. So for, that's a bunch. And so- That's a lot, yeah. That's a bunch. Um, so I think first, going to digital signage for the person going like, that doesn't draw a mental picture for me. What is digital signage? Well, you think of, when you're out going through the day, you go to the dentist or you go to the doctor's office. It has a monitor in the in the lobby that's showing some advertisements. You go to your local clothing store and they have monitors up there that are showing the new fashions of the season. You go into your fast food restaurant and you're looking at the menu. All of these things are examples of digital signage. It is digital signage is saying something digitally. Mm-hmm. It, within that space, what's the pain point that the digital signage company solves for the customer? The pain points that we solve, there's two of them. Mm-hmm. I've been around digital signage for a long time. I've been working in the AV industry, and there's a lot of levels of digital signage. And for folks that are lost, AV is audio. Audiovisual. Audiovisual. Yes. Audiovisual okay. stuff. Yeah, thank you. And there's a lot of digital signage companies out there in this industry that's growing. A lot of these are big enterprise. You require special hardware, requires months, weeks of training, a dedicated person to run these, high bandwidth. What we do is our simple system allows Joe's Garage down the street that has one monitor. It's a great solution for him because he can afford it. The enterprise fast food restaurants that has 4,000 locations across the United States and six menu boards. It's a great cheap solution for them. So that's the kind of niches and the kind of pain points that we fix. 
you know, when we met before, you had a really interesting journey to get to today. Let's go back a little bit and talk about your travels and how you okay. got started in the AV space. Sure. Started in the AV space. I went to University of Northern Iowa. Back before then, I was the geek that always loaded up the 16-millimeter projector in grade school and high school. Studied some audiovisual and audio recording in the universities. Went out to San Francisco. I was working at Chevron back in the day of 35-millimeter slide projectors where we would have 20 projectors behind a screen and stockholders meetings, these sort of things, producing videos. So that's where I got a lot of the experience. One day, living in the Bay Area, I realized I'd woke up and I thought, wow, I've only lived the United States, so I got to go somewhere. Long story made somewhat shorter. I thought Japan was the hardest place to move to, so I took off to Japan thinking I'd be there for a year. I came back about 22 years later to the United States, which is about four and a half years ago now. And in Japan, first three months, I was a bartender at uh, Lexington Queen nightclub in Tokyo. I became, through there, I met people. I became a country manager for Gibson Guitars, entertainment relations. So that's MTV giveaways, hard rock giveaways, loaners for concerts, taking the band members out. Right, to bars and clubs after the concerts end. And so they didn't ask you to come sing with them? Maybe they did once or twice, but when they realized how good um, I'm not, then maybe that kind of stopped. So I went there. I realized I couldn't do this forever. It wasn't a career. It was great as a 28-year-old guy in Japan. But I talked my way into a IT job that I was not at all qualified for, and I hit the books. And I went through Novell certification, Microsoft certification, Linux certifications. I ran an office in Tokyo with 12 servers, 175 end users. Got out of that, said, okay, I want to work on my marketing and branding. And I made a business card and I did uh, promotions for some high-end fashion, high-end cigars, high-end automobiles, online, offline promotions. And during that, somebody came up and said, hey, don't you know audiovisual stuff? And I said, yeah. And they said, well, Lehman Brothers is looking for a consultant. I started Lehman Brothers. I built their Tokyo, Hong Kong, and Beijing offices while they were still around. And during this process, I realized um, nobody's doing this business in Japan. So I made the business, ran it for 11 years, sold it, moved to Colorado. That's pretty quick. Yeah. That's not so bad. It seemed like a long time. <laughs> That's one of my advantages, but one of my stumbling points, I think, as a CEO is I want these changes to happen quick. I want the growth to go quick. Steady, consistent growth is good, but sometimes I get a little bit impatient, but I guess that's um, maybe where I get some of the drive, I hope. And you went to Japan. You didn't have any language skills either, did you? No, just that stick song, Domo Arigato, Mr. Roboto. <laughs> yeah, but otherwise nothing. Yeah. Nothing. So I made uh, word cards and figured if I could speak nouns, adjectives, and adverbs, I could communicate, and that would give me confidence. So that's where I started. And when I left, fairly fluent, I did some speaking at uh, Toyo University. Uh, half of my staff, 20-some people in Japan, was Japanese. Presentations in Japanese, ordering beer in Japanese. Oh, life skills. Yeah, life skills. Life skills, yeah, yeah survival skills. Yeah. It's, it's important, yeah. I think about that diverse background. 
coming through college and going mm-hmm. through Chevron and then going to the Japan and coming back here. And you're a serial entrepreneur, for lack of a better term. Yeah, I think so, yes. Thinking about the IT on-demand, not less than four-hour time frame business that you have in the United States. I'm, for folks who are going, I have problems in some of my rural locations. How do they find that particular company? Wow, that's a good question. And I think that's one of the niche that we hold and uh, we fix. Here's a scenario, too, that I've seen often is, let's pick on the guys on the East Coast, right? There's a company in New Jersey, for example, that has a client and this client opens up an office in California. And the New Jersey company says, yeah, sure, we can take care of that. And they Google and find a partner, Mm -hmm. which is sometimes a very loose used uh, word. And they Google somebody, find a partner. But what you miss there is the accountability on who owns the responsibility to deliver. Mm -hmm. With us, this small business in remote Montana, for example, could contact us. We can get somebody to their office. We can get somebody anywhere in the United States. And we do it. And... We own the responsibility. This is one of the things that I'm always telling my customers is I personally own the responsibility for my company to deliver, right? So I'm your person to point at. Here's my cell phone to call. And that's on social media. Where do they find that point of contact or that company? We are on, um, this is one of my good learning curves or big learning curves for the past few months because I've been kind of non-educated social media. I myself, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. Sequenzainc.com is our website. And that's S-E-Q-U-E-N-Z-A? Okay. That's our website. We're on uh, LinkedIn. We are very soon launching Instagram, Facebook, some other digital marketing. Okay. So, yeah, Sequenza Inc., we should be right at the top of the Google searches. Okay. For that, what I'm trying to do is paint a picture in the mind of somebody that's listening as to what type of problem would they have where they could reach out to Sequenza and solve that particular problem? Anything technology. Okay. We can handle phones. We can handle microphones. We can handle computers, whether that's desktop computers. We do structured cabling, which is the running of the network cables. Okay. We take care of dentist centers. We take care of fast food restaurants, POS systems. One of our clients is a uh, nationwide sports company. Mm-hmm. We do all technology for them. We do wireless access points. We do servers. We do structured cabling. We do POS. We do a lot of stuff. So I hate to be so vague in the answer, but if you're having a problem with technology, your phone, your computer, your microphone, call us. And you look at that and if you're both in a rural market in the major metropolitan areas, and sometimes it's a problem in both. Yes. Well, it's often a problem yes. in both. In looking at that, so you've got that particular company, and then you had a couple of others that you were talking about that you were the CEO of. Yes. Fall under Sequenza. Let's talk about those a little bit. Okay. So we had Sage. Sage. All right. Let's talk about Sage a little bit. Okay. So Sage is, again, it's the digital signage platform. Having been around digital signage for 25 years when it was first starting out, I see the good points, the bad points. I've had many, many conversations with customers on what is it, how do I use it, what's it going to benefit me, how does it benefit me. I know a lot of the big players out there. We are now competing with a lot of these big players, and we are doing so. I like niche business, right? I like to fill certain niche requirements. And with this company, Sage, the niche is I want a platform, digital signage platform, 
that anybody could use. Like I mentioned before, I think I said Joe's Garage or the fast food restaurant that's got 4,000 stores. Anybody can use it. And I don't want to have to, as some of the players go, I'm going to charge you $2,800 a day for training. Your training comes free. It's 45 minutes. Most people in 45 minutes say they have a good handle on it. And another thing that we're able to do now, everybody's got smartphones. I could take a picture of you here, and I could have that picture of you playing on a monitor in my office in Hong Kong in 90 seconds. And I can teach you how to do that in a half hour. I think about as the business owner. And so, you know, let's say that I've got a fast food restaurant, and we're now sort of accustomed Mm -hmm. to the menu board behind the counter. Yep. Right. And so typically, who controls that message board before Sage? Is it the business? It varies. And sometimes it varies from company to company. Sometimes it varies within a company on these are our company-owned facilities and these are our franchised facilities. Different companies give franchisees more or fewer rights, if you would, or control over the technologies. Mm -hmm. Because I think about pricing. And sometimes you'll see a special not necessarily offered at every location. Yes. And so let's say that I'm an independent location. I've got the signage up there. Typically, for me to control it, I'm assuming I control it off of a, a PC somewhere in my yep. location. Headquarters. Okay. The chicken sandwich is now $1.99. Poof. Yeah. Changes on all menu boards everywhere. Okay. And then for you guys, basically, your system set up for Sage is different because it's simpler to train and not as expensive? Yes. Okay. We operate on channels. Everybody's used to a TV. Everybody uh-huh. knows that different. you're turning the channels, you get different content on your TV. Okay. So we can run our platform. Again, it kind of varies on our clients and how they're using it. But generally speaking, we give our clients a set of players and we say, here's your channels and here's your ability to create more channels. And you can upload this content to different channels and you schedule when you want to change the channel, if you would. Right. Mm-hmm. Again, mm-hmm. thinking of TV. And it seems to make it really easy to understand. I think about the ability with the staffing and whatnot and folks that are trying to manage staffing and make sure that they communicate with their customer well. It would seem like this would be a good solution and flexible. Yes, thanks. Yeah, I mean, you've got the menu boards and you've got the monitors in the store, the fashion store or the doctor's office, but there's a lot of digital signage being used for internal communication Um, Another way you think of is think of universities or think of airports Mm -hmm. with delays. Think of things like emergency messages. The way the world is, we have a university. I'm a security guard and I'm away from my PC and I need to put up a message on all monitors that there's an active shooter. Mm -hmm. I can do that from my cell phone. Okay. Yeah, so more responsive. Hopefully we don't have people that need to do that. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, it seems the sign of the times I'm thinking. Let's, t- so, let's change those times. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then V-Tracker. We talked at length about V-Tracker when you and I met before. Yeah. So talk about V-Tracker and the problems that it solves. Yeah. V-Tracker stems out of a couple of the larger dealerships in the United States coming to us and just with a few problems. And so we've developed a suite of technologies that help the auto dealerships, not the people buying the cars, but the people selling the cars. We manage, we have tools that manage your inventory so they know where every car is. Some of these dealerships that we're working, they have 2,000 cars. I was in a dealership before where a lady came in and said, I bought this car across the street. Thank you guys. And I was like, what was this about, gentlemen? And 
said, well, this lady called in and asked if we had this such and such red car and we queried our inventory and we had it. But when the lady came in, she waited for three hours. We couldn't find the car. So she went over across the street, bought the car and brought it over here to shove it in their noses. Well, with our utilities and our tools, they know where that car is within one and a half, two feet. You know, I think about Unless you're in the industry, there's a lot of the problems in that particular industry you just don't know about. Yes. Theft is huge. And like for me, I take my vehicle to a service department and they go, well, it's outside. And they look around and go, well, no, it's not outside. Well, it's somewhere. And then they go tracking my vehicle down. Mm -hmm. And so talk about some of the challenges that maybe the average person wouldn't know about and how you guys have started developing solutions for that. Yeah, sure. On the lighter side, there's a thing that dealers deal with called floor pan cars, which are, without getting into it, it's when does the dealer have to pay the manufacturer for the car? So it's in the dealer's minds or incentive is, I want to get rid of the older floor plan cars first, just kind of a way to manage cash flow. With our systems, they know where the floor plan cars are, and if we have six car red cars of model a lined up here i know that third one is the oldest floor plan car i want to sell it another example is theft people come in at night there's cameras in the dealerships the keys are locked in but somebody comes in with a computer five minutes away or five minutes they're driving not even five minutes 30 seconds they're driving away with a car they hack into the car's computer start it unlock it drive away cars are jacked up and wheels are stolen. We had a dealer tell us that somebody brought in a high-end Mustang for repair, and while the Mustang sat in the dealership overnight, they took the tires, the seats, and the dash. So with our systems in there, if a car is jacked up, we know it. We've got our 24 by 7 call center that is monitoring it. It sends an alert. We contact the dealer and say, this car at this location has been jacked up. Somebody's taking the tires. So some of this then is these GPS devices, if somebody buys the car, they can opt to leave it in the car. And that comes with from the dealerships with the purchase price of the car. So now this person has their own, I'll say Google Maps. We don't use Google Maps, but everybody knows Google Maps, right? Mm -hmm. And everybody will have their own Google Maps slash GPS tracking of their car. So if their teenager is out driving their car, they know where the car is. They can set alerts that if a car is in a shock or brake suddenly, I want to know. If a car goes outside this geofence, I want to know. If a car, you know, all these alerts that they can do. And so that offers the dealership security, but the people that buy the cars offers them a bit of security Is V-Tracker well known or well understood? You know what? It isn't. We have been working with dealerships, but we, since the launch of this, we've actually have been so busy that we're still working on our site, our website, everything. Mm-hmm. So that is soon to be launching, and we will do a press announcement and okay. that when we do that. But I guess it's kind of the ideal case of an entrepreneur is you're too busy to make a brochure or website. But in this case, that's where we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's interesting. And I think about the typical problems that the you know, most car buyers are not going to know about floor planning. They're not going to really think that theft is that big of an issue because yeah, sure. almost all dealership lots are, are highly lit and you would presume secure. Safe, yeah. And particularly about managing inventory, 
is I think we've all been in the circumstance where they go, well, we can't find your car right at the moment. We'll find it near a few. Then they go track your car down. As they cross their fingers and, yeah, sure. There's a lot of challenges, right? Yeah, there's a lot of challenges that people don't realize. It's a tough industry. Yeah, the, it's a very tough industry. Yeah, the margins aren't that high. And when you start to have them to take and either pay for the car or pay for interest on the car after floor plan expires, it's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about kind of what got you here and yeah. a bit about your journey and some of the initiatives. And now comes the part where I get to quiz you to death. Uh-oh. This is the challenge. And so what is the most recent book or most influential book that has altered your perception on being a CEO or how you run your business and why? Good question. I would have to say maybe more than a book, a couple pages. There's a book called uh, Financial Intelligence by Doug Linick, mm-hmm. famous CEO here in the United States. I read the book and the first couple sentences of the book, he says, tell me the five most important things to you and I'll give you five seconds. And I thought the nerve of this guy, he's asking five seconds. Come on. These are important things. But I kept reading and next paragraph or soon after he says, if you can't say five words in five seconds, you're living your life wrong. And that hit me like the proverbial truck. Mm -hmm. So I decided right then I'm going to know. And every day I'm going to know my five things, family, health, job, money, friends, and they change. I allow them to change and I allow the order to change, but very influential. And when you're talking about keeping these things that are important to you in front of you so you can focus on them, that that had a pretty good impact. Maybe not the impact the book was supposed to have, but yeah, yeah. but you take, I think you inventory and take what you require at the time. Yeah. I still use it every day. And the fact that you can state it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. How long ago do you think it was that you read that book? 2006. Been a while. Yeah. That's pretty cool, by yeah. the way. Yeah, it is. It's awesome. Yeah. Thanks to the author. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You'll talk to folks and there'll be a, an author that's really changed their behavior, their life, how they run their company. And I'll ask many, I'll say, have you ever met the author? And they go, well, no, but I'd like to. Yeah. And, you know, and as an author, can you imagine going like, I had somebody call me the other day that was moved by what I said and changed their oh, life. Nice. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever get the person that says, yeah, the guy that changed how I run my company was Stephen King, <laughs> the thriller writer? <laughs> no. I haven't had that one yet. Yeah. You kind of go, oh, maybe not. <laughs> sure thought of it. Man. What failure or at the time apparent failure has served you or your company best or set you up for future achievement and why? I don't think there's such a thing as failure mm-hmm. because everything is a learning experience and... I call this my $6 million man theory, which is whatever happens to me every day, whether good, bad, large, or small, if I keep my eyes open, I can see what's supposed to make me bigger, faster, stronger, right? The $6 million man. And so I don't see him as mistakes or anything. But I think when I started the companies, when I first started running companies, I thought I could get this company up and we're doing X million dollars in sales and we're a legit company. We're going to survive. And I realized that I'm walking on the edge of a glass and I could fall either way. There is no security that we're making X million dollars in sales, but could die tomorrow. Right. So I think there was a realization, maybe not a mistake, but a realization that as long as I'm an entrepreneur, I'm going to be walking on the top of that glass. And just either get comfortable or get good at it. Yeah, both. Hopefully I can manage to do both. As you were talking, 
I was thinking about for the years that you spent in Japan yeah. running the companies and then coming back here and running companies. Is there a big difference between running companies and you know, culturally or geographically? Tremendous. Huge. Huge difference. Yeah, so much. I mean, we've got another hour podcast. We could go on this. I've lectured on this. I've talked about it. Uh, Japan has uh, so many rules in business to from things like how you pass out a business card, some of these small things to when you walk into a conference room and a meeting, your chair is decided before you walk in. You have to know where you sit depending on your place in the meeting. And then I get comfortable with business in Japan and I move back to the States and wow, it's a whole new can of worms. It's a lot different. Um, decisions get made faster here. There's some pros and cons of each. I often say that I would like to work in a country that's kind of like half Japan, half the U.S., taking some of the best of both business cultures, if you would. But And what we're doing now, I mean, we've been with Sequenza. We're across Asia. We're in Brazil. We're in Europe. So we still get quite a bit of international experience. So, yeah, but big difference. I love it, though. I think about you dredge out of your history things that are tried and true and whatnot. And is there one or two things that you did in Japan that have really helped you here? Patience, I guess. A quick story. When I first started being an entrepreneur and a CEO, I subscribed to Fortune 500 magazine. And I thought, I'm going to read this cover to cover, and I'm going to learn how these executives do it. I'm going to get insights from CEOs. I'm going to get this. And what I learned was completely different than what I thought I would learn, but it was very valuable. And what I learned after reading cover to cover for two years is in every single case, there's no overnight success, overnight super rich CEOs. It doesn't happen. And in almost every case, it's try, fail, try, fail, try, think you're going to die, success, right? And so when I said patience, I think that's kind of what I'm referring to is understanding that that is the life of an entrepreneur and a CEO and, you know, get good at it. Show up every day. Yeah, show up every day, enjoy it and get good at it. In Shifting Gears too, if, if you could put an ad on page one of a local paper sharing your company's message or advice, what would it say and why? That's a good question. I like it. Our tagline would be, why pay more? Because across VTracker, across Sage, across Sequenza, we, almost every scenario, we are well below market prices. In our Sequenza brand with our professional services, our technology services, I constantly see a global company that wants a big company to take care of a rollout across 100 stores, 1,000 stores. There's three level of subcontracting down. It's us. We do the whole thing. Everybody takes their 30% or whatever their cut is, right? So why pay more? It's us doing the work anyway, so why don't you just come to us? <laughs> Yeah, interesting. <laughs> Sorry, it seems a little bit arrogant on that approach, but we get quite a bit of work subbed to us, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You get paid the same way, but... We get paid the same way, and the client pays more. You know, that's back to that question, if they don't know about you, they don't they don't know. Yeah, sure. What was the best allocation of either time or initiative that's helped you and your company most, and why? I would say employee empowerment okay. has helped us. That goes back to words of advice that I received before I became any entrepreneur, which is hire people better than you. Bring in these people 
pay attention to their careers. Some people want to be, say, for example, I want to be a data entry person. That's good enough for me. That's all I want. Some people have a more aggressive career track. They want to climb the ladder. They want more responsibility. They want more money. If you can spend your time, I feel it's an employer's job to help manage the employee's careers. And as you're doing this, you're finding as an employer that you're able to give out more responsibility, right? And you're able to empower them. Here, John, you run with that. You take the lead. Send me the reports, Mm -hmm. right? So what are you doing as a CEO? You're delegating, which is a good exercise as a CEO and sometimes very difficult, but you're also empowering those people. I have seen in several of my last companies, I've seen that as being a big contributor to growth. I think about empowering a, you know, the staff and the employees and keep people to do certain things. Mm-hmm. So how do you check the oil? How do you check and make sure that the empowerment that goes out to these folks is producing the end result? What do you do? Answer a question with a question. How do you check the oil? What am I checking the oil in? Checking the oil in a lawnmower and a chainsaw in a car and a locomotive is all different. It's a different process for each. And I think to check the oil with employees, it's also dependent on what that employee, who that employee is, what their job is, in some cases, maybe even what their mindset is about their careers. Okay. But I think it's key for management to be attentive to this. What's the most unusual habit or what others may consider out of the ordinary that has helped you and your company most and why? Bad jokes, (laughs) for example. In my business and how I deal with people, I like to be very personal and very real with people. I like to speak very straight and speak the same way to people. And maybe there's cases where people say, you know, you could have been a little bit more formal or... I feel I've had a certain success in doing that because, one, that's me. That's who I am. And so my character is coming out in my business. Um, David Lee Roth, a Van Halen singer, told me in Bay Area a few minutes before a show, we were talking, and he says, everybody is three people, who you think you are, who others think you are, and who you really are. And I think with some attention to that, if you can get all three of these people the same or close to the same, that allows you to bring your personal character to business. I had somebody tell me the other day, says, I want to be the person my dog thinks I am. (laughs) (laughs) And I went, yeah, my dog likes me pretty much every day. Yeah, you never hear anybody say, I want to be the person my cat thinks I am. No, never. (laughs) Sorry, cat lover. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Over the past three years, what belief or protocol have you established in your company that has most impacted you or your company's success and why? Yeah, easy one. Easy one for us. When I started Sequenza, I met uh, three of my top people. And instantly I went, wow, look at the experience. Look at what these guys bring to the table. These people bring to the table. And this is a prime example of hiring people better than you. And we sat around the table and I said, hey, if you guys are willing, I think we can make a company out of this. I think we can do this. And the word that came up right away is honesty. There's a lot of greed in the world and there's a lot of deception in the world. And even my 
middle school age daughter picks up that she says, you know, 85% of the commercials on TV, they're stretching it or they're making it up or they're not telling you the real deal. And we could have made more money if we would have kind of taken that route, but we don't. We throw our cards on the table with our clients and say, this is exactly what you get with us. There's no small print in our company. And that helps us sleep, right? And and I think speaking, and if I can, if my key team is listening to this, I'm speaking for you now, that this shows the traits that they bring, right, to the table. So I always thought the benchmark, you never do anything you can't explain to your children. And oh, I thought really? that was... I don't know if I succeeded in that or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we try. Yeah, we, try. we try. We try. If you were going to offer advice to a new CEO that was assuming the role of CEO for the first time, what would it be and why? One bit of that would be two parts. One part of that is whether you're a CEO for a $100,000 mom and pop company or you're a CEO of a billion dollar company, know that everybody's the same. You're going to have issues. You don't have to know everything. So have your circle And I would say outside of your board that you can talk to, whether that's a trusted advisor, whether that's somebody that you can bounce ideas off of, don't think that you have to know everything. Part two of that would be in your professional career and in your personal life, exercise your change, exercise your discipline, exercise your challenge. Have all three of these apparent in your life every day. Small things, big things, right? Change, for example, what shoe do I put on first? I'm going to put that on. I'm going to put the right foot on first today, or I'm going to put a sock and then a shoe on. I'm going to brush my teeth with my left hand. These small things. Discipline. You know, what is my diet? What is my work habit? Right? What is my leisure time? What books am I reading? And your challenge, and whatever big, small challenge. I think all three of those are very key to like personal awareness and confidence, which is important as a CEO. With that being said, what do you think are the most common misconceptions about you and your role as CEO? Maybe a misconception would be that, that I don't care. I think I always see it like this. I don't explain it like this. I'm standing in a circle. As a CEO, you're standing in a circle that is lit. Everything outside of the circle is extremely black. You can't see anything. Every once in a while, you're called on to jump out of that circle. You don't know if you're going to fall. You don't know if you're going to run into something. You don't know what's out there. I think through my experiences, I've jumped so many times that survival is not a question for me anymore because I don't know what I'm going to hit when I jump out of the circle, but I know I'm going to survive. And that gives me, I think, a certain level of low stress Mm -hmm. or no stress. And I think it gives me an ability to step in and be calm and make these hard decisions when you're supposed to. A couple of my staff have said before at times, you don't care? I said, well, I care very much, but this is how I'm caring, right? This is my job as a CEO. This is how I must care. You can worry. I'm not going to. I think that would be like going to ER and you're bleeding and the surgeon comes in and runs out of the room screaming, going, oh, my God, you're bleeding. (laughs) You go like, wrong guy. Yeah. Wrong guy. Wrong guy. Yeah. Looking back over the past three years, what would or should you have said no to and why? This is kind of going back. I'm going to go back to an answer that I gave earlier. And I'm going to say nothing. Because if I say, hey, I shouldn't have said no to this, it shows a little bit of regret. And I think that every experience 
good and bad has led me to here and to who I am. And I'm comfortable with who I am. So I'm going to say there was nothing that I should have said no to. Contributes to the fabric. Yeah, sure. In the day-to-day operation of your company as CEO, what is your personal habit or self-talk dialogue that keeps you and your company focused? Maybe this goes back to, I put little notes on my monitors. I like little reminders and they're encrypted, so people often don't know what they mean. I had uh, getting back to those five things, right, that Mm -hmm. are important, family, health, job, money, friends. First letter of each of those words on my monitor is a reminder to me, W-D-I-S-T, what did I sell today? Little reminders to me that um, just kind of keep me focused. I don't know if necessarily bad habits. Bad habits could be my jokes again, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll edit those out. (laughs) For folks, we talked about how they reach you on social media, so we know how to get a hold of you at Sequenza. Yes. You know, for you, what is a quote that you find meaningful or one that you use frequently? Quote. What was that uh, ACDC song? Da, 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 da. Yeah, that's a tough one. And when I think about that, I think about, okay, what quote or what bit of advice keeps these things in front of me, right? My focus and that in front of me. I think part of that goes back to those five things. I think part of that goes back to um, to the honesty principle that we started the company mm-hmm. with, right? I want to like feel good when I'm going to sleep at night. I know my family is a huge inspiration for me. Just the fact that they're there and supporting and believing in what I do. Uh, I don't think offhand there isn't a particular quote that All comes right. to mind. All right. But the one that drove you five important things, that's a pretty good deal. That's amazing, yeah. Yeah. That- I mean, I recommend that for everybody listening, okay? Everybody, you didn't know you are going to get homework when you listened to this podcast, but you're going to find your five things, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, that's good advice. If colleagues were asked what you're best at, what would they say, and how do you utilize this particular strength on a day-to-day basis? Again, I hope I'm not getting back to this misconception part. Maybe my ability would be to see the big picture, know when the 30,000-foot view is good, know when the 5,000-foot view is good. Mm -hmm. Um, Also being able to come in and make these decisions, sometimes quick, sometimes harsh, that have to be made, and being able to do that in a way that doesn't keep me up at night, that doesn't freak out my staff, right? Mm -hmm. Keep it in a calm, confident way. I hope that's what they say. One would hope. Yeah. You know, and, and thinking about the decision to leave Japan and come back stateside, yeah. what was that thought process like? It was really over about 10 years. As we were talking before I started this podcast, I mentioned that one of my faults, and hey, this is probably an answer to a question you said earlier. One of my faults is I want it now. I want the change now. I want the growth now. Sometimes I get a little bit impatient, but we were speaking earlier, that's where drive comes from, is that impatience, which is key. I thought I would build this company in Japan and be able to sell it in two years. Well, I hung on to it for 11 and a half years. Mm -hmm. So this was an ongoing process, right? And what led us back here, the weather, the mountains. I mean, when we're in, in Tokyo, very tight, very condensed the light changes and 2,000 people cross the street. So it's very busy, very fast-paced. And I think selling that company allowed us to be able to like hit the brakes a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I like looking out my dining room window and seeing the mountains and this sort of thing. So 
It's a great choice. Colorado is wonderful. People here are great. I think about we all accumulate mileage from our journey. Yeah. No, no. The makeup covers all that. The strings of today was to offer advice to the strings of 15 or 20 years ago. What advice would you offer? Yeah. Increase your challenge, right? Nothing comes for free. I think I hit a certain time and through high school, college, certain time when I was in my 20s where I went out to California to be a rock star. I just wanted to play guitar and I thought, Hey, that's all I got to do is play guitar. No, you've really got to work at it. And and I wish I would have known then that your reward as good as the effort that you put in it, right? It's like going to a gym and working out. You have an excuse or you have results. That's it. Nothing in between. And as every individual is going through their life, we're trying to do whatever age we are. We're trying to do the best we can with what we know. And... I wish I would have known that then. And as a father, it's been one of those things for me that's been, how do I teach that to my daughter at a young age so she doesn't have to go through the learning page when she's in her learning pains when she's in her late 20s? So would you arrive at? How are you offering that to your daughter as a skill set? I give it to her and try to coach her into challenges. I hope that she can see me in various activities through my work, through my home, that I'm challenging. I hope that, I mean, that's the greatest teacher, right, is the example. I hope I'm pulling that off. You know, it's not what you say, it's what you do. Yeah. You know, you can say lots of things, but if you don't do it, then it's just more words. Sure. It's my parents. They said a lot of things. And as a teenager, I didn't listen to most everything they said, but I watched. And as I come back to the States, some of my family that I'm getting to know again, you know, aunts, uncles, cousins getting to know again are saying, you're so much like your father. I kind of take pride in that. I'm not doing that intentionally, but it's happening. And I think it's happening because I watched and I learned and I still am. It's funny, as a kid, my father's a Navy NCO Mm -hmm. and I mowed yards for extra money. Well, the thing I did know is that when I finished mowing the yard, when my father got off duty, he'd come by and check my work. Oh, every. Did he ever send you back and say, say hey, you, you didn't trim the fence or you missed a spot? Yeah. And so it was from an early age. But it taught do it right. Do it right first time. If you're going to do it, do it right. Yep. Yeah. And, you Whatever know, and, it is. And you think about some of the things, and that, that's man, you say what you it's, it's not, I tell my kids all the time, and then what you say is what you do. Yeah. So, well, I tell you, Strings, this has been fun. It's awesome. Thank you, Bob, very much for having me come in. Absolutely. Well, thanks for the time. And again, folks, it's at Sequenza.com if you need to reach Strings. Sequenza Inc. Sequenza Inc. Sequenza Inc. S-E-Q-U-E-N-Z-A-I-N-C dot com. To find Strings. trivia, Sequenza means strings or sequence in Italian. (laughs) (laughs) That follows. Well, on that note. We will wrap her up. Thanks so much. Thanks, everybody, for listening, Bob. Thank you very much for having me here. Appreciate it.